When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Beyond the Ropes, a boxing podcast brought to you by Easley Boxing Repeat. The place for the Northwest and boxing news, news, reviews, and interviews. Here's your host, Sean Basso. Hello to you, the podcast listener. Great to have this episode of The Life and Times of. It's the second instalment today, and I really hope you enjoy this next one because it's one of the first guys I wrote about, and it was a really enjoyable experience to get him on the phone, have a chat to him, get his thoughts on his career, get his thoughts on boxing as a whole, who his favourite fighters were, all the little stories from back in the day. It was really, really good to hear from him. So in this second instalment of The Life and Times Of, I'm proud to introduce you to former WBO super featherweight champion, the voice of Box Nation and now BT Sport, Mr. Barry Jones. Barry, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate no, it. it's an absolute pleasure. It's been, uh, it's been a wonderful journey into boxing for myself, and uh, you're one of the first people you know I wrote about, and it was a really great article. I know a lot of people that know you seem to enjoy it, and it was great to meet you back at the Fury Parker show in September yeah. last year. It was uh, great to finally meet you, and uh, it was great to have you on this episode, and obviously for the listeners, they know what it is. It's the life and times of. It's documenting you. You, Barry, it's documenting your your life and your story and your journey into boxing. So I think for me, the the only place I can start is 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 at day one, really, and uh, your journey from the start and and what got you into a boxing gym the very first time. Well, to be honest, it was um, my brother, my elder brother, Stephen. He was a uh, he started he was you know, he's three and a half years older than me, so I just followed him down the gym I, I, like I can imagine most younger brothers do, just follow your brother around, and and he went and and, and boxing was was what he wanted to do, and I sort of um, I had no ambition. I I used to sort of, well, I was sort of nine, nine years of age, and I didn't really watch, watch any sports much. I'd play every sport and watch none. But yeah, I sort of took the boxing, not because I was any good, just because it suited my personality. I was hyperactive, couldn't sit still, and boxing seemed to 
be a sport where you're constantly involved and the training was quite hard and I and I liked that because I needed to burn off a lot of energy so I did I did it for that and then um, and then when I was 10 years of age you were allowed to have back then in the 80s you were allowed to have four fights when you, turn, when you turned 10 so I had my four fights I lost my first one and then I sort of won the next three and then the next season then I sort of carried on and had a big run of undefeated fights and yeah by the time I got to like 14 I'd won a Welsh title and I and I sort of started to get good and that's when I started to, to take a, I didn't think this was going to be a, a career because I didn't think about a career I didn't I didn't know how good I was going to be I just knew that I was okay because I was winning titles and, and that you know winning stuff is is the biggest drug in the world you know, success and, and winning picking things up yeah. and obviously my brother was a British schoolboy champion as well at the time so you know chasing him was was a big was a big uh, incentive as well trying to trying to better my my brother and then my father as well was was, was heavily involved you know really supportive and used to come down and help with the training and without being pushy and I, you know it's, it's a fine line with being a supportive parent and a pushy parent and he got it just right going back to your amateur days then barry going back to some of the competitions you were involved in you you fought at european level uh, you were also competing in the world amateur boxing championships as well that experience uh, taught me through whoa, it whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. i've got a silver in europeans i've not forgotten about that don't you worry <laughs> to be fair back when people weren't winning medals in any sort of competition to be honest um, you know, the home nations we weren't really doing very well because it was, we, weren't, we weren't used like they are now used to different styles of boxing but um, the computer scoring just was introduced and it was literally the computer scoring has changed sort of design over the years the way all, all things are scored but that computer scoring there in the early 90s was as if it was as if they all sat down and said how can we devise a system that will help Barry Jones further his career it was made for me it really <laughs> was uh, so it was great you know high 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 guard type fence I, I used to box not I was I used to box quite slightly different as a as an amateur and as a pro I wasn't this dance around guy who couldn't who had no power in his shots I, I was never a power puncher but I was in and out busy I, I'd always move I was busy 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 and I, I was a good body puncher I'm not saying I was a, I was like the Ricky Hatton of, of, of amateur boxing but I could I could drop a lot of people body shots I could bang a little bit enough for respect and so I was a bit more aggressive but I was a counter no counter puncher always a trade and this, the computer scoring uh, back then suited me so I, I was boxing six foot featherweights and, and I was I was like a natural featherweight from literally from 15 to, to when I retired I was always a featherweight really and, and then yeah so I, I won that went to the world championships didn't win I'm very I'm not one of these boxers who thinks he gets robbed every fight but I did get robbed in the world championship I'm not saying I would have won a medal but I should have gone to the next round and I never and then I turned pro um, I didn't really had no asp- I, I always wanted to turn pro once you get to like 16 you'd want to be a world champion yeah. that's, that's your ambition you know Ray Leonard was boxing and that was my that's who I wanted to be just like him in every in every facet but um, I didn't think about turning pro but someone approached me and typical the way I am just going along with whatever I said yes I was 18 and turned pro and you know, I should have waited for the Commonwealth Games they were two years time you know, back then again the Commonwealth Games winning a medal of the Commonwealth Games was, was a big deal because you would, it's not the most difficult competition out of all of them to win medals but it's the most one of the most publicised so you get a lot of attention on BBC and obviously that means you're bargaining um, or, or your worth is, is a little bit more when you turn pro so I didn't turn pro with, with Frank Maloney who was who, obviously Kelly was Frank back then or, or Frank Warren or Barry Hearn who was before Eddie was involved he was a kid Eddie then but yeah I turned pro with Billy Ayrd an ex-heavyweight who was um, a scouser living in London or not, he might have been in Bournemouth at the time of the pub and, and and my old trainer Pat Thomas who was a double British uh, a British welterweight like middleweight That's right, yeah. champion yeah turned pro with them just because he said you want to be turned pro and I said yeah and I, my signing on fee was a pair of shorts and a dressing gown <laughs> how times have and changed I, I got no and a pair of boots I got and a pair of boots and my first my first wage was 350 quid wow it just goes to show you how much things have changed doesn't it from from today I mean that was back in 92 wasn't it when you were turning yeah, pro 
so it's uh, what, what's that 20 I can't even do the maths 26 years ago so 26 years ago you turned pro uh, but I'm not that old it don't make any sense it's impossible <laughs> so, but, you know, but you know I, I never turned pro for the money that was the thing no, like I said, we all want to be rich and stuff but I never had no aspirations of uh, this, this you know, uh, delusions of grandeur about being a, a, a multi-millionaire you know, multi-weight multi-belt champion I just I thought I could be a champion I didn't know but the British title was my aim because I thought that was a realistic game but I didn't think about ever think about money and it was always about the sport and, and, and you know how good I could be and, and winning stuff you know like I said you win, once you start winning titles as an amateur you want to win titles as a pro yeah. I thought I thought I could do that and then yeah but the money was never an issue so you know I worked I worked throughout my career you see boxers though saying they can commit themselves to the sport because they have to carry a job up well I worked throughout my up until I, up until I won the world title I worked I never I was never out of work and the day I won the world title was the day I packed in my job what was it you did what was it you worked as I, I was what well, a lot of things I was, a, I was an apprentice electrician for a long time that was what I'd done for most of it to be honest and uh, and then I was um, yeah, doing some uh, fireproofing for, for shopping centres and things like that so yes yeah, so I, I always always had a job and, and that when boxing was just extra money and well, for a long time it was like you know I was getting 750 quids or 1500 pounds so yeah. there's not much you could do with that except for, except for spending and enjoying <laughs> my wages kept me you know alive kept, kept paid the bills and, and my boxing money was, was for a little bit of little extras obviously I had, I had a daughter as well then in 93 so you know I had to earn I had a family to support at a young age and so but, but still boxing was never about money it was I'd work I'd run in the morning because I wouldn't and then I'd, I'd work all day and I'd go straight on a boxing gym and I'd train and then um, sleep eat repeat and that was pretty much what it was and that was my life I lived every minute of it I don't know I don't, it, it was what it was well going back to your first professional fight then I ask I ask a lot of guys this obviously you know guys that have uh, either way into the career or, or guys like yourself that you know have, have, have had the careers can you ever can you remember what that feeling was like the first time you stepped through the curtains yeah. to go to the ring the same as every other fight absolutely cacking myself I, it was, it was, um, I, I wouldn't look it I'd look quite confident because you know I'd, I, I'd nervous like every fight I've ever had is nervous and, but you know I, I had a system of they used to happen in the because am- in the amateurs you never knew when you were fighting yeah. or sometimes you, you would go to it's different now but back then you go to a lot of shows on we call it on spec where you don't know if you're fighting you just turn up and because my dad my dad had a works van and then, and then a car I would go to shows twice a week because they because they had other fighters they might the trainer wanted to take other fighters to other other, sh- other shows around Wales so I would go there it, you know, on spec and then the, see, the most fights would be made on the night so you never knew when you were fighting or if you were fighting so I would constantly walk around and just stay loose and that's what I did as a pro on the night I'd always just walk around go into the crowd it, when I won the world, when I fought for the world title I was literally in the crowd talking to my mates like 45 minutes before I went I went in the ring and, that, and then my father came and dragged me out what are you, what are you doing getting here because that was what it wasn't a, a sign of arrogance or confidence it was that's what kept me relaxed and kept me away from you know get all those thoughts all those, any negative thoughts ended in my head or, or, or being overawed by the occasion so I just kept loose and that's what I did with my first pro fight went into the crowd the crowd wasn't massive to be sure it was in the leisure centre but you know, to speak to my friends and, and, and yeah slowly loosen up and, and the worst part is getting, it's getting your bandages the worst part because you have to sit still and I struggle sitting still to this day and, and, you, and so you got your arm over the chair and it takes a while to do your bandages you know and, and your arm starts to ache and, and you start to get nervous and, the, and obviously the guy's doing your bandages is usually your trainer he's sort of giving you little tips but it seems real but it's still another maybe, maybe 45 minutes before you get in the ring and you start getting a bit oh just head up so I can get him walking around <laughs> moving around and then and when they put the gloves on and you have to walk the gloves is okay when you put the gloves on it's quite good but then that, that walk when when the guy when when the whip the whip will come up and say right you're on next and you have to that walk to the ring is is, is a is a daunting experience to be honest where I think a lot of fights can be won or lost I don't think fights are win or lost in, in press conferences or weigh-ins but I think that little walk 
walk to a changing room is uh, to the ring from the changing room to the ring. Your bot you can lose your bottle. Yeah. I never did, thank God. But I think think you can. I think if some fighters freeze, I would imagine it's that. Because then if you skip training or you or you haven't done things quite right, all those little dogs will enter your head. You know, or or you sort of go like me. I couldn't punch, and then you think, oh, he can punch this, this kid. I fight. He can he can have dig a little bit. You know, and you, that can consume you. You can start to worry about that. So you know, I think that little walk there is like it's almost like the, the, no, they call it that green mile. They call it, don't they? That yeah. Row. It's like that a little bit. It, it can be like that, or it can be the other way. If you're a real confident kid, and and you and you, you know, you can be. It can be like you know, like the like the walk, like a walk of fame, a catwalk for you. I would imagine, but it, it, I think it can work both ways. I think it happened um, the other night with Cal Frampton and, and Luke Jackson. I think that walk to the ring. I think I think it, I think he didn't swallow it, but I think it, it consumed in that Belfast crowd and where Cal Frampton he fed off it and he, he was you no know, he was buzzing off it. Where the other kid sort of thought, well, I, I, this is real. You know, I think that can happen to you. And I, but that my first my first pro fight was brilliant. The kid was three and zero with two knockouts. He didn't turn out to be a great fighter in the end. Colin McMillan turned to be a bit, a bit of a journeyman type in the end. But at that particular time, I was eighteen years of age and there was no YouTube or anything like that. Never seen in box. I thought my trainer or manager had seen in box, but he was three and zero with two knockouts. And uh, when I was 18, having my debut, and that was how, how it was back then. It was all you'd have. I thought enough journeyman, but you'd have proper apprenticeship. I had a proper apprenticeship for my career. If, if, yeah, you know, I, I did. You know, I, I'm quite proud of it. I never, you know, I, I, know I have a very much of a realistic view of, of my world title, to be honest, because I love boxing. I think boxing's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot, lot of us guys who are world champions who, in the real world, I call it, wouldn't be world champions. But my apprenticeship was was a proper apprenticeship, which which you no, know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you could knock, you could knock my apprenticeship. My first sort of trial fights, I don't think anyone could knock it at all. It was the right, the right amount of fights, the right level of fights to get me to a to a British title fight, but easily. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because obviously, you know, when you look through and you look back to your record, you, you fought in your hometown for your first four fights, fought in Cardiff for the first four, uh, the Star Ledger Centre. So you'd fought there a couple of times, and then you go into '93 and you fight at Old Trafford on the undercard of Nigel Ben and Chris Eubanks rematch. I do against a kid from um, I think it was Salford, John White, and um, he was a, he was a good kid, a real big. Player. He was, I think he was seven and zero, and I was about, I don't know if I was five and zero, I can't remember. I think I was five and zero. Yeah, but, he was. You know, yeah. And, and I boxed great. I boxed great. We were up for, it was only four fights on that night, or five fights, I think. I think it was five fights. And and I was and I was I was I was one of them. So one of only ten people to box in on travel, which is not a bad little thing. It was a great experience. And I took that. And that, like a lot of my career, late notice. That was a week's notice that fight, which was, which to be honest, for me, wasn't late notice. That was enough. I remember I was I was I was stood in my rugby club um, the week before, sulking with curry and chips. To the boat, I can't remember what it was. Midnight or one o'clock in the morning. It was maybe that late. I'm not sure. Anyway, because um, Lennox Lewis defended his world title against Frank Bruno in Cardiff, and I couldn't get on the bill. They couldn't get me on the bill. I'm thinking, well, I, I, I sell tickets, and I can't get on. I'm undefeated in five five from Cardiff, and I can't get on this bill. And then I get, I got a phone, and I got a phone call the next morning saying, "Do you want to box in Old Trafford?" So I had six days notice actually, and I went, "Yeah, please." So uh, yeah, I didn't get the box on the, I didn't get the box on um, on uh, Lewis and, and Bruno, but I got the box on um, Ben and Newbank, which. Uh, not a bad little um, consolation prize, but but even though I had, this first, I had those first four fights in Cardiff, but they were good fights, you know. Like again, Comet Mellon was was undefeated. Uh, Greg Upton was the only kid I stopped with a cut, to be fair, but bless him. But he was three. He was only three and one. He wasn't a bad fighter, to be fair. And um, Mike Deveni, who, who lost, the, I think he lost four fights, I think. And he had about seven and four, something like that, eight and four. But he was an Olympian four years before that. 
and he went on to win. A, and he went on to be a British professional champion about two years after. So you know they were they were good fight. They were they was, even though I had the home advantage. They they were good. It was a fantastic apprenticeship. Even then, I didn't have no no, no walkovers. Even though I had home advantage. Yeah, then I had the run of John White was undefeated. Neil Swain then we went to be a Commonwealth champion. He was undefeated at the time. I took his record off him. Even people like the colourful Elvis Parsley. He was I think he boxed for the British title. I think if I'm not mistaken. So you know after I beat him and then I got then I get to sort of like ten or eleven and oh and I get an undefeated kid called Justin Murphy for an eliminator for the British British featherweight and that that was uh, that was probably my, the fight I learned the most from because I took that fight as a day at a day's notice attempt my first ten rounder by the way I'll be honest and but it was a it was a chance of boxing for the British the British title so you know it's an eliminator you no know, my trainer's going you can beat this kid who he's never seen him fight he's just guessing so so I took the fight I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't that fit but because I'm a hyperactive kid and and you know, featherweight for me then was never a struggle because really I was a super bantamweight if I would have struggled if I would have really tried to make the weight I was yeah. a super bantam and a big super bantam but so featherweight I walked around it probably back then 21 I was 20, yeah, 21, 22 so 21 so I probably walked around about 9-4 so you know, losing 4 pounds is not, was not even in a day really put a black back then couldn't do it now put a black bag on a sweatsuit <laughs> and go for a run don't eat and and you know that 4 pounds shifted off no problem and I boxed this kid I boxed crates for the first sort of 5 rounds and then I ran out of steam because he was a big strong kid undefeated you know one wanted to keep his undefeated record and it was a big chance for him to fight for the British title if he were to win and then um, he chased me down like and then uh, like, I got this cauliflower ear now which I picked up on that fight because because of that taking a short notice and not being fit and then your judgement your timing is slightly out as you get tired of, and he kept catching me this big overhand right and I remember the referee saying that after the fight that if I weren't if I weren't so far ahead early in the fight he would have pulled me out because my ear was disgusting it was massive it was like a big rabbit's ear so I, I would bounce on my toes and then when I stopped my ear was still bouncing around so I dread and painful I got the win but then I didn't get the British title shot because it wasn't an official eliminator which I didn't know anything about that I was a young kid and, and I learned then that you know taking all these fights to short notice is maybe not a good idea yeah I always wondered uh, why you never got that British title shot and now you just answered my question that you, you've kind of took the question yeah. away there because uh, you know when you look through and I was awesome. doing I was doing uh, you know that research on him when I did the article about a year ago and I was thinking he, you know he never actually won the British title but he, he had the eliminator and obviously uh, history, history shows it as an eliminator but as you said there because it wasn't uh, inverted commas an official eliminator you never actually got that opportunity to fight for the British title you kind of got moved straight on then didn't you yeah and to be honest the money was no good I can't I can't even remember what I got paid so that means you know it's not good yeah. if you don't remember what it is so but again I didn't care about the money it was like chance to get a title because I had a bit of I had, I had sort of a lot of fights quite a lot of fights in, in succession I think I had like 10 fights in 18 months or something but then but then I had a bit of a lull then I couldn't get any fights and, and then and that became a little bit of a problem and I, I was thinking what's happening I know why, why do no one want to fight me not a big puncher but I beat in a couple of undefeated kids on the way up and also I beat Michael Leveni then who was British champion by that point and I beat Neil Swain who was Commonwealth champion by that point well so you can see why I was a little bit avoided you know you know it was a kid who's hard to look good against and he might beat you on points it's not a great fight and also matchmakers it's, it's a 12 round ball fest if you if you come up against me if I'm having him all my own way so that was it so anyway I get I get a few more fights under my belt and um yeah I, my contract ended with Pat Thomas and Billy Ed. I didn't renew it that was hard I had to phone them up to tell him I didn't just do what some boxers would do and just disappear I phoned them up and did the right thing and said no, I was a young man but I had to do the right thing and said listen I'm not going to renew my contract and they were disappointed and tried no they were they were fine with it but they were trying to tell me I think you're making a mistake and I just went listen I'm not, I'm not getting no opportunities here not earning no money and uh, obviously me and Pat Thomas never really trained in a boxing gym either we you know it was like crashes and squash courts so you know the first three years of my career I very rarely trained in a boxing gym and and that I don't the environment wasn't that good you know so I so I left but I didn't I, I had a couple of fights with Di Garden and promoted I had no manager but that was fine 
I got offered some fight in South Africa, but it didn't. It didn't. You know, I don't want to go into details because it makes out that Daigan is a bit of a bit of a snake, and he's not. But it, the details weren't what they did turn out to be sort of not the same as what the actual reality was. So I, yeah. I turned that one of the only fights I turned down that was, and then I, I went off working in Ireland for twelve months. I got as I was doing boxing, just was one of the things I wasn't going to work out. I was yeah. gutted, but I moved on. And I was doing some good money away from home, and then um, my relationship with, with, the, with, the do- with the mother and my daughter that sort of um, fit, like sort of blew up as well. So you know, it was a sort of getaway and. Lucky I didn't drink, so my life didn't spiral out of control because I didn't drink. I think and went to Ireland for I was there for all nine ten months and then just sparring in the gym and thought, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like twenty two years of age and you know what am I what am I doing in my life? I got to give this a crack. This boxing came back. You no, know, signed up with Frank. Went to see Frank. Went to see um, um, Ronnie Rush, who was um, Steve Robinson's trainer at the time, former world champion from Cardiff, and he had he opened the gym in my console street, but I but I still lived and grew up. And then we went to see um, Frank Warren. He, I never met Frank before, and he, I said, you know, want to sign me up? I was 14 and 0, I think, at the time. And he said, well, of course I will. And that was it. Then I, I signed up with him. I had a couple of fights. Um, beat Peter Judson for the IBF Intercontinental in Sheffield, which was a, a good... Again, that was a super featherweight shot. I got a, I got a phone call saying, do you want to box um, for an Intercontinental fight? And I said, yes, it was a fantastic opportunity. And he said, it's a, a super feather. So I think, thinking, well, I'm a featherweight. He was, he was thinking about going down the super bantamweight. Now I've got to go up a weight instead. So it's just don't make any sense. But I, I, my father, and he was right, Peter Judson, we saw what we seen him beat Dean Phillips, who was a good, big, strong super featherweight from, from Swansea area and he stopped him to win the title Peter Judson and uh, but my father said you're not don't, you're not Dean Phillips you won't try and knock this kid you can't knock Peter Judson out he's tough as nails you won't try and knock him out you're just so you're just so a thousand which I did over a thousand punches in the fight and I'll box him and, he'll, well, and, then, and then we move back on to featherweight or super bantam just get it you have a bag into it and you have a title you have a belt launch and they meant a little bit more than they do now not much more but a little bit more back then and I picked up the title and I might and I remember you know, on Sky that I said I want to box um, Paul Paul Ingle, who was British champion, yeah. and glad I never because he was smashing the pieces, Paul. But I wanted I wanted to box him for the British title. You know, I said that's my that's where I want to go. And then I was I didn't mention it. I was going to say it, but I want to go down again and, and box people like Pat Mullins and, and Spencer Oliver, who were the super who were the, who were the top super bantamweight at the time. Again, I didn't want easy fights. They were two fantastic, three fantastic fighters I mentioned there. But but then I got you no. Know, I had the defence of this IBF intercontinental thing. I boxed this fellow called Afi Djelti, who were French Algerian, who just won the French title a couple of weeks before. And uh, I beat him. He went on to beat Drag. I think three of the three of the top four super featherweights in the country knocked out Dean Pithy, um, Gary Thorne. Well, I think he stopped Charles Shepard, who was a fantastic fighter. Charles and together a stoppage against him is not bad. Really good body punch this Chelsea was. Went on to be a European champion. So I beat the Commonwealth British and European champions and never got the belts. But you no, know, yeah. So he was a good fight. That's probably my best win to be honest, uh, achievement wise. Because he was a really good fighter. I beat him, and I think then I get some sort of rating in the IBF quite high. I think like maybe ten or eleven. So I'm stuck at this weight now aren't I this is where I am how did the um, how did the world title shot come about then because obviously you fought uh, Jadelty and then that was obviously in the IBF rankings and then all of a sudden <laughs> there's a vacant WBO title there and uh, you're in there with Palacio yeah it's crazy because it was all um, I was in, I was I was in Bridgend which is in South Wales at the, at the amateur boxing show dinner show and I just had a mobile phone it was one of those mobile phones where you'd have it and, and you don't know whether it's going to last you like six months or six days you know you <laughs> you pay like 90 quid it was all like dodgy back then and I had one of those but I give the numbers out and I get a phone call from Ernie Fossey who was, was a matchmaker for Frank Warren and he phoned me up and said do you want a box for a world title and I told him to get lost and I put the phone down because I thought he was winding me up I thought who's this and a piss off to me and then he phoned me up again and sort of no, wasn't very nice towards me and told me what was what and I said sorry and he said do you want a box for a world title and I said yes and he said okay we'll ring you back Monday and that was it this was like the Thursday so I, I rang my dad up and I said done a box for a world title and he pretty much told me to get stuffed and almost, almost <laughs> went up on me and then I told him I know Ernie Fossey rang me and, and was 
so my father said, when? I said, I don't know when. Who? I don't know who. How much? I said, I don't know, Dad, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. I didn't ask how much, who it was, where it was, when it was. I just said, it's a world title fight that I don't fucking deserve, let's be honest. So I said, yes. And then, so I started thinking, what was to I went home then, there was, again, there was no real internet back then, there was no, there was no box rec. So I started to think, so you got the, the boxing news and the boxing monthly to get the, the latest ratings from the month before. And, and you're thinking, what, let's have a look. It's got to be super featherweight, because I've got an I, so it's got to be the IBF. So the IBF still had a Turo Gatti as their champion. But I think, but I knew, I thought, I was, I was almost 100% sure that he moved up and we already by that point. But I'm thinking, what if it's a Turo Gatti? What if he's one last fight? No, he, no, he smashed me to pieces. Gatti at super featherweight was a monster, by the way. I thought, well, but I don't care. I can't, I'm fighting the Turo Gatti. Number one contender for the IBF title was uh, a very old Azuma Nelson. So I'm buzzing now. If I get, no, what if I get Azuma Nelson? He might be 38 years of age or 39 years of age, which back then might was like being 49 now but, but fucking it's a Zuma Nelson you know, uh, if he yeah. catches me I go to sleep uh, obviously uh, no, no denying that he's an all time great but I'm boxing a Zuma Nelson I can take that loss every day of the week <laughs> no a Zuma Nelson and what if just I have the fight of my life and he has the worst night of his life he gets really old overnight his, his foot falls off and he's, he's, he loses sight in one eye and, you know, and, and all that and he, he falls asleep after round three and I wins I wins I wins on and then people will forget that I boxed an old man with no legs they just remember I beat his I just beat the great Azuma Nelson. Pat Hotel didn't do it. You know, Jimmy Mack couldn't do it. I did. You know, and, and I, you, know, you fantasise about this, and I'll take that fight here. Anyway, it turned out not to be any of those. It was a WBO <laughs> title, so no, I don't know that fight worked out. But Frank Warren, of course, he has said, no, I go from like number 10 in the IBF rating, which I'm proud of that, being top 10 in the world in any organisation is pretty good going. Or was good, not anymore, but it was good going before. Now you can be number two in, in box 25 junior. But I'm not slagging boxes off. I'm just saying this is the best it's all about marketing now more than anything else but, but now I'm, but now exactly what I moan about I ended up being like number 8 in the WPO rankings overnight and that title was vacant because um, I think a fellow called Castillo and um, Julian Orsi had boxed twice and got two draws for the title amazingly and um, yeah that's it so I took that so December the 19th about three and a half weeks after I get a phone call I'm boxing a world title again no massive notice for the for, for a world title fight none of these 6 to 12 week training camp bollocks and all that it was just literally three and a half weeks but luckily I'm I was a hyperactive even then, relatively naturally fit. You no, know, obviously you look back and you think, you no, know, I didn't, I had no strength because I didn't really have time to train to get the strength working, you know, the proper tactics for the conditioning right. But I was fit. The weight wasn't an issue because I walked wrong by then. So I'm 23. I walked around about 9.7, so making 9.4 was not a problem. I can have most bantamweight to walk around at 9.7, and we I'm fighting at 8.6, so you know, for me to lose like three pounds was was nothing. And then, and like I said, most fights I'd, I'd, I'd weigh in at like nine stone two because I, I when when the, when I started training hard. I couldn't keep the weight on, <laughs> and then um, and, and but it was fine though, you know, because most of the time I'd return at the weigh-in with a Mars bed in my mouth, and I'd be <laughs> fit, and I'd, but I'd be fit, I'd be fit like a heavyweight should be. You know, didn't have to worry about. It. I could eat the right foods coming into a fight, so I'd be hundred percent fit. But then when you get to world level, that natural strength and power and size you know, works against you. But anyway, I win the world title fight. And the, the best moment of my my boxing career was you know realizing a childhood dream. However, however false it really is, to be honest, I still to be to be crowned to be called the world champion in the ring and to have people cheering your name and, and, and all that and, and being put up there with stuff and, and, and the adulation and, and the, the promise and the hope of a bigger fights you know, awaiting was, was something that I only ever dreamed of as a 10 year old kid in my in my, in my bedroom shadow boxing and it became a reality on December 97 yeah well it's uh, it's one of them things isn't it it's like um, you go back and you look at it now and you in, in, in sort of hindsight it's, uh, it's an amazing achievement no matter which way you put it and you you, you was a world champion but then you is this I think it was after this fight that they found uh, a sort of anomaly weren't it on your brain and then you was out then 
weren't you, for uh, a couple of years before you was able to come back? What was what was what was going on at the time? What was that like? It, it was um, it, it was worse than the world. I'm at the top of the tree, you know. And I'm a world champ in one minute. My life's gonna change forever financially. My life's gonna change forever, and then all of a sudden, I got a kick in the teeth. Boxing board didn't really explain too much. I just turned around and said, "Yeah, it's a problem with your scan. You can't fight ever, ever again." And then, um, yeah, it's just like it's like everything just everything was slow motion for a while. What do I do now? You know, what? Is there something wrong with me? You know, am I in danger? Am my health in danger? Yeah. Can I really not fight again? I don't understand. And then uh, it's only by chance I went to see a brain surgeon off my own back because I was worried about my health. And he looked at my scans and he said, "I can see where the where, where the issue lies." But I can't see why you're under any more danger than any other boxer in the country. And then from that conversation, which cost me about fifteen hundred pounds, I uh, I went back to the boxing ball with a with a you know dossier of information and uh, and a doctor friend come along with me and and pleaded my case, and which they totally ignored. And, and justly so, to be honest, I really believe that, and you know, I, I, I think I should have sued, to be honest, but yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that at the time, I just want my license back, but, but then, you no, know, and Fat Warren doesn't always get good press, but you know, I went to Frank, who was my manager at the time, and then told him what was going on, and then he paid for the barrister out of his own pocket, and I got my license back after all those months or years of being out, within about like, in 10 minutes of a meeting, with it, long as I, my, when I took the barrister there, just because there was no proof there was, there was anything wrong with me, there was no proof at all, which I think. I think obviously the climate of the landscape of boxing at the time was 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 a dodgy one, you know, with with Michael Watson suing the boxing board, of course, yeah. in in his fight, and, and also Spencer Oliver in our March of '98, he collapsed in the ring as well. So I think it was a it was the probably worst time of something to happen like that. But um, and also I was a bit of a scapegoat because they could sh- the British Medical Association every few years always try and have a little run to ban boxing, and uh, I think they had a little run then after Spencer Oliver because that was a high profile fighter and a high profile or fight on TV you know, with somebody uh, cause having injuries which almost killed him and I think they had a little push then to try and ban boxing so I was a perfect scapegoat for the British Boxing Board to show how safety conscious they were that they would even stop one of their world champions from fighting if he wouldn't if he couldn't pass their medical requirements but that world champion wasn't Chris Eubank Nigel Ben no Frank Bruno Nazim Hamid yeah. it was a brand new champion called Barry Jones who no one's ever heard of and wasn't worth two pence to anyone so you know I think that was I think I, I think I a bit of that. I think if that would have been so a, a high-profile fighter, have the same issue as me at the same time, then I don't think it would have been an issue. I think it would have been investigated properly, and what would have happened to me? Would they, they, they would have continued to box without any other palaver? To be fair, I think that's what would have happened. I just think they thought, oh, it's not worth taking a risk, and, uh, and that was it. So, which is, anyway, so I got my license back. That was the main thing. But but those two years I was out was a there was a massive shift in my weight division on the quality of fighters. When I won the world title, I wouldn't have been afraid to box any of the champions I'm not saying I would have beat them but there was no standout champions in my weight but then when I came back there was a few, there was a few I think my weight was pound for pound probably the best in the world because you had the IBF champion was Diego Corrales who's obviously dead now but what a fighter he was six foot one six foot one super featherweight who could box and punch then the WBA champion was a former Olympic gold medalist Yoel Casamayor Cuban who again Southpaw could punch beautiful boxer with a real horrible nasty streak so not beating either one of those two the WBO champion was pound for Pound the biggest puncher in the world at the time was was Asselino Freitas who was 23 and 0. The video I had of his of him was was knocking out um, Anatoly Alexandrov who was a really good fight world class fighter from Russia or Ukraine and he knocked him out in two minutes and he was out for five minutes. So you know yeah that was my video of uh, this is the kid you're fighting and then the WBC champion was Floyd Mayweather. So yeah so it's not a bad little run of champions there, is there in that weight. You know, I, I would put that weight at that time up against most weights since the since the four belts have been in, introduced ever to be honest. Those 
four champions there making our weight so strong I put them up against almost any weight but they're all Hall of Famers aren't they they're all, all Hall of Fame fighters all yeah, yeah. guys that people yeah, speak I'm, about yeah, in this day and age yeah fantastic so, so to be, if I would have had the choice to a box either, I didn't have a choice to box obviously Freitas was a WBO champion but if I would have had the choice I probably would have picked Freitas anyway to be fair because I felt that as good as Freitas was he was still a little bit green at that level and I think he could be a box because he was so heavy handed that he tried to kill you with every punch so he, you know he made mistakes he left gaps and to be and so you know I thought I would have picked him was it was it difficult coming back after the, the layoff uh, it was like two years weren't it before you got back in the ring again it was 99 yeah. and then obviously the Freitas fight was straight after that comeback fight was it was it difficult trying to get back into the gym back into the ring shifting the weight things like yeah, that well, well the weight wasn't again the weight was never a problem I was still small for the weight so again the weight was never an issue I still, I still could have made I still should have been a featherweight even then but I um, the whole training was wrong you know I sort of half trained myself for that fight it's, all these things are my own fault by the way because it's my career but I sort of trained myself for that fight it, and, and my mindset was I wouldn't have listen, I, I'm not making an excuse I wouldn't have beat Freitas in a million years he was just too good for me but my mindset was wrong I didn't have I was tra- I was just kept thinking about all the money I lost because when you when you win a world title you usually sign for but back then I'd, I'd sign for five defences so I knew, I knew how much I was going to get and it was good money and obviously it gets bigger as you get along because they don't expect you to get the five defences or four defences but if you do then you're worth it you know? so so I knew I, I kept thinking of all that money I, I missed out on now boxing all, all of a sudden it's become about the money so I'm not enjoying it as, I, I'm not, no, I don't really enjoy it as much and also you know I want, I should have had a couple more warmer fights and, and, and you know, ignore the Freitas fight and sort of try to get a world title fight a couple of years down the line 2002 or something really when I would have been like 28 or something but I didn't want that I wanted to get straight back to world title level so I, that was it so I didn't think about being out the ring for a long time I just thought let's get, let's get it on and uh, yeah that was it so I, I guess this, this kid I get offered the fight and I'm, and I'm full of confidence like I always was you know, I was nervous and realistically you know, from an outsider looking in I could never win that fight but to me I thought you know he makes a few mistakes long, long as I, I've never been on the floor in my entire life amateur pro barring I could take a good punch so I thought oh, we'll see how good of a punch it is Cause, you know, I, take some good, I take a good job but you know he hit me and I fell over <laughs> a, few, a few times a, yeah. a, few, a few times yeah <laughs> yeah no it was a d- difficult fight for you back then and obviously like you say he was uh, pound for pound one of the hardest punches at the time as well and uh, you, you know to be fair to you you did pretty well getting in there with uh, only that one warm up fight really uh, against Chris Williams back in 99 so you've got to yeah. think of it like that as well and uh, the other champions that were around at the time and the other fighters and yeah I think um, given given all that taken into consideration what you've said about the fact that you, you practically train yourself it's did pretty well to get in there with him really but to be honest though he would have beat me anyway that could, I could have kept that title from 97 up until then and that, this, that could have been like my sixth defence he was he, he, be, he was faster than me better boxing brain faster feet faster hands bigger puncher bigger man he was just that was he too good and I'm, I'm happy with that I can accept that you, should, you know you, you gotta be you gotta be honest and realistic you know he was too you come up against a guy who's too good for you and I knew it from straight I put him down on the floor obviously in the first sort of 20 seconds because he because like I said he, he makes mistakes because he tries to take your head off and everything and he was tight for the weight and it was obviously you know January cold over in the UK so it was harder for him again to make the weight because obviously he's from Brazil a warm climate but he was too good and I knew that but I was proud of that fight because I went down six times in eight rounds you know and you shouldn't be proud of that of course but I got up six times yeah exactly and I never be and I never knew you don't know how you're gonna react so you've been knocked down I didn't know how I was gonna react and I reacted in the right way I didn't jump up like a like a lunatic hero trying to throw bravado I took my time and took my got on the knee took my count and uh, I think 
and, and tried to fire back. And I, no, I didn't charge him like a lunatic, that's not my style. I tried to stick to my plan, tried to box him when I could. You no, know, but you know, he, he just he used too much for me. And I won a couple of rounds. I, I get, I've had the official called scorecards, and I've seen them, and I won the fourth and the fifth, and they were the only two rounds that I stayed on my feet. Ironically, <laughs> 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 and that was it. I remember saying, as honest as I as I try and be always, even to this day, someone said, "How do you think you're going to get on with this fight with Freitas?" And I said, "Well, when the talent, the talent time will be when he hits me when he hits me the first big punch. And if I and if I'm on the floor, I can't win this fight. And if I'm on my and if I'm still standing, he can't beat me because he don't beat. He's not going to beat me on points. That's what I do. And I think that was a, that was a proper a perfect summary of the fight. And when he couldn't knock me down, I was doing quite well. I was doing very well. But ultimately, I couldn't take his power. The man had two ads. He, like, he smashed my ribs in the first left up that he caught me with in the first round. He did so much damage to my left to my, to my um to my ribs that I suffered for years after with that. So yeah, it was it was just terrible. And like every time he hit me with a body shot, I go down. And it wasn't like being winded. It was just sheer pain. And I couldn't understand why I was going down. And I was annoyed at myself. And I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I'm not out of breath. And he whacked me again. And I felt like crying, you know. And then I looked. At, I watched the video back about, about three, four years ago. I seen someone put it on YouTube. And I watched it back. And like, you can see me on the floor at one, po- at one point. And the grimace on my face. Like, you know, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm almost crying. And I get up. And I think, well, I'm proud of that. I'm proud I'm proud that I, I, made, that I had an effort. You know, I made a go. I, I took my eye. I took a hide like a man. You know, and because you don't know. You might you're winning when you're winning when you're the best. It's easy. You get all the pats on the back for winning, but if you're better than everyone, that's not hard. When you're not better, that's why. That's why I, I want a fan of Nigel Ben style. To be honest, but I was a fan of Nigel Ben because he would do that and win. He'd be in fighters that were better than him. No, he had no right to winning, and he, he wouldn't just find a way to survive. He'd find a way to win. And that, no, that's a that's a sign of a, of a great of a great fighter. It really is. No, I, I I showed signs of not quitting, but I couldn't win. And to be honest, I didn't I didn't want pats on the back or anything because I look back now with fondness and proudness of my effort. But at the time, people were saying, you know, you, you went above and beyond, and I think, did I? This is a wolf hunt fight. I can't think of any fighter who wouldn't just leave who wouldn't, who wouldn't leave their soul in the ring for the chance to be a world champion again or for the first time you know? and, and that don't mean you have to fight with your face if, you, if that's not your style but you do the best that you can do on that on that particular time it might not be the best you are but the best you can do at that time and I, I did that and it wasn't good enough but and then I knew my career was over because I, you know, I didn't love the sport anymore like I used to and you know I, there, was another, there was another issue in my scan which which wouldn't have been a problem but I, I just couldn't I had no wish I had no, no desire to want to be a, I, I'd fallen all over the sport by that point I knew I'd, I'd, had, I'd had sort of um, little, little times in my life when I was going to come back and I trained a little bit I'd done bad with some kids and done quite well so I can come back then I sort of think well come back to what no, this is this is not Joe Karzaghi coming back, you know, with his big money fights. This is Barry Jones coming back. He's gonna have to come back and, and you know at British level. He's gonna come back. Straight. I'm not gonna yeah. walk in with, a, with in a multi-million pound fight with a world champion. I'm gonna go back at the lower level. And what if I get beat at that level? No, you think you're good, but sparring and fighting are two different things. So I, um, it's because I found policy. When I, got, I retired at 25 and never boxed again, which is very young. I never really hit my peak. But then by the time I got to 29, 28, I could punch. You know, a bit of man strength, holding yeah, your feet a little bit yeah. more, understanding not. Not rushing your work and then um, yeah so then when I got 30 I was going to make a comeback because I, I, I had more time I could see things better you know they say you know, youth's wasted on the young and that's how it felt and I felt like I had all this time I could see I was spanning with people I was making a miss by inches and I was whacking them and they could feel the power no not like, I'm not, I don't mean that I'm not saying I was like a Wayne Alexander but you know I could, I could bully people I'd push people back and for the first time I thought oh, my, with my speed and skill that I always had and now with a bit of weight beyond my punches I'm a different I'm a different animal all of a sudden but you know it probably wouldn't have worked out for me and I'm probably 
probably, and I'm sort of glad I never, because you know, I thought I was going to come back and earn a few million, I was going to come back and earn a few thousand, that's the truth of it. Yeah, the reality of it, yeah. yeah. So it sort of moves on from there then, and obviously uh, you, 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 you're watching boxing. Did you do, um, before you started with Box Nation, which we'll move on to, did you do anything before that uh, in, in terms of punditry, commentary, anything like that? No, um, never never commentary, never. I did a few punditry, I did a few little things on the radio for Radio Wales with Colin Jones, obviously there, they have a, they have a commentator. They have a commentator who talks throughout the throughout the round, and you talk in between the round. So obviously Colin Jones would sort of would sort of do most of that, and I'd chip in. Then about three of those, and I did about four jobs with Sky back when I was fighting in in ninety. But that was it. That was it really. And uh, yeah, I never thought. I don't know how. I just literally walked into the job. But, I know I literally did by accident. I, I had a friend of mine who was a friend of Steve Bunce's. Like I, I saw, I saw, I didn't know. I knew Steve. I didn't know him. But I knew of him when I was fight when I was fighting. But no, I didn't know him well enough to. to I wouldn't have spoke to him if I'd seen him in, in a boxing in in a. In a venue anyway, because I when I thought you would have known me, but even though we wrote some good articles about me at the time, but even though they wrote articles about million fighters, so they can't remember everyone. And um, yeah, so and but my friend of mine, he said, "Oh, you know, this box station show just started. This channel just started. Do you want to um, do you want to come on this bunch hours show? He has his boxing hour, and he gets all these fighters on from the nineties. By the time Steve was just getting every any fight that he didn't have to pay to get on the show, that's what it was. And I kept saying no, I didn't want to do it because I, I, you know, I'd watch, but I still watch boxing. I stayed away from boxing. I put it to bed, and I didn't want to go back on TV. Yeah, my little fifth. 15 minutes of feeling like you know great and you know all that feelings back again and then go back to work on the Monday you know that oh you know it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and that transition from being a, a pro boxer especially if you want you winning titles and stuff or being on telly and had people shot and then go back to a normal job it's difficult it really is that transition is horrible because you're a little bit embarrassed because you feel like you, you haven't quite made what, what you think you should what people think you should have but in the end, then I said yes. I so I go on there. I said, I said, okay. I said, I went, I went on there, and and I, I really enjoyed it. And we spoke about uh, December '97, the night I won the world title. And we spoke about, and I obviously had a, bit, I had a great memory of it, and who fought well, and how the other fights went on, Winky Wright, people like that. And um, yes, yeah, so, and then the the, the producer the Jim Bentley said, do you want to come back? Do you want to come back on and do a bit of punditry? And I, and I, and I said, oh, fantastic! I just thought just do do one of these once a month, and that'd be fantastic. And it went it went from there really. Never looked back since. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I went, I went on, I went on, I did that, I did another one in Cardiff, and then I was up in Glasgow for, for Ricky Burns versus Paulus Moses. Ricky was defending his WWE lightweight title, be a pundit, or so I thought. And then when I got, to, when I got there, I got, the, went up to the, the stage with Jim Rosenthal, Ben C, and, and, um, Anthony Crawler. And then the, and then the floor manager said, no, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to start work, what are you doing? And he went, no, you're ringside. So I went on the ringside, I think I must be sat ringside doing little reports in between the rounds or something. Yeah. And I was doing commentary with Alex Steedman. <laughs> and I said, it's not, it wasn't funny at the time because I was I said no first of all we're not doing that I was annoyed I thought they were taking the piss out of me to be honest I was like I can't because it's a different job and all of a sudden I think well, I've never done this before and it is a different job it's a much harder job where you, yes. you have to talk throughout the whole fight yeah. rather than just you know before and after the fight when you digest the, 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 what, what you've seen and come up with a sort of like a thought out answer or summary anyway I did that it was the best thing ever happened to me because that's I'm not saying I'm better than one or the other that's for other people to decide but it's kept me in steady work because being a pundit is, is a more enjoyable job I have to be honest with you, because and it's more fun. But you know, I would get you no, know, especially with someone like BT, who I work for now. I would I would be moved on constantly for for a bigger name, because as much it don't matter who talks the most sense. If if George Foreman wants to be a pundit on on BT every week, he can sit there talking about his grills. <laughs> and yeah. you know, because he's George Foreman, they'll want him on because that will that will bring you no know, attention that, 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 and 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 
promotion that you can't buy. So I, I understood that. So the, the co-coms thing is a little bit more, you know, you're not on camera. I'm not really a fame-hungry type of guy, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst self-purposist ever, to be fair. Like, I really am. I'm just so shitty. But, you know, that's, that, it sort of suited me, because you're not really on camera all the time, so you can go about your, your life without people driving you mad. And, and But I'm a sort of on boxing. I get to call some of the best fights in the world. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm lucky, because I'm not. You know, there's better fighters, more qualified to do the job than, than I, but I've got ahead of them somehow with just a little bit of luck. And again, I never gone look like my boxing career, and I went looking for the fight, and I went looking for the job. It just it sort of found me as strange as it goes, and I've never given it up. No, I don't ever, blame you. Ever, <laughs> it is ever, a, it's a great ever, job. Ever, ever, ever. I, I absolutely enjoy. I absolutely enjoy being at all the shows and commentating on the shows. It's um, I never, I never myself personally, I never dreamed of being able to do something of this in a similar fashion to what you're saying about yourself and the way you've sort of gone and turned up at a show and they've said no no you're over there you're going to sit there and you're doing that and you're like hang on a minute this is not what I've come here for tonight but I think once you get into it as you know yourself it's uh, it's brilliant it's uh, fantastic to be so close to the action and, and it's as, as close as you're going to get if, you, if you're not a professional fighter uh, to, to be in there and to experiencing uh, what the guys experience it is. It's the best seat in the house. You know, obviously, you know, we have it's nerve wracking as well because you know you're, you're worried. You know, you don't always get it right. You know, you, you, you can only say what you think. People get upset. You know, obviously that Twitter thing is the worst place for, for people giving their expert opinion about every, about every fucking thing. But you know, it's, you know, people disagree with you and they want to let you know. Fighters, I have fighters sometimes. They'll message me saying they're not happy because I didn't think they won the fight or, or you know, I, I didn't, I didn't kiss their ass or whatever it was. Yeah. And I just sort of say this. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I can just say what I think. This is not. This is not. This is not a general consensus of what everyone else saw the fight. This is how I saw. All I do is see how I see it. Now, if you if people agree with me at home, that's great. If I'm leading people to agree with me, and that happens probably quite a lot, then that's just one of those things. That's one of, but you know, if if I'm near the judging scorecard or the judge, then I I can't complain because they're professionals paid to do that job. They don't always get it right, of course. Yeah. But you know, who's to say people at home get it right and 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 well, and the judges who are getting paid don't always get it right. But there's people at home who watch it, who half watch it while they're eating their dinner. You no, know, having a curry and whatever, they get it right every time, you know. And, and yeah, and that's sort of. And it's hard to educate some people on how how you score a fight now, and how you actually watch it. Just just watching a fight home and having an overall general opinion of who's won the fight. You, this is you know, if you get a fight that's close, you go this is a close fight. So you'll have it even after eight rounds. You haven't scored each round. You say, oh, it's anyone's fight. Then whoever wins those last four wins the fight for you. But it, it could be a close fight for eight rounds, but you, it could be six two in, the, in one guy's favour. Yeah. So then the other guy wins the next four rounds. You don't mean he's, no, you don't mean no. He's, he's drawn the fight there haven't he you know what I mean it's not so it can be like that way and, and people don't always see it like that and you try and tell them and you know and I sometimes oh, oh you watch it I remember doing a working for Radio 5 with Adam Booth um, and it was um, Truax is it Calab yeah it's Calab Truax, Truax yeah. versus versus James DeGale and he had DeGale winning by a point well, I think I had I think I had Truax by one it was a close fight close fight but, but he's he've actually he's actually said on air that I feel like James that Truax has won but my scorecard says that DeGale's won so those close rounds you, know, you don't like you, it's, it's funny how you score a fight and how people see it at home and that, that I'm pretty much talking about trying to justify criticism yeah. you get criticised sometimes and you feel and it's a horrible feeling like you know you think yeah, no, I'm, and you can't explain yourself fully to everyone all the time because it just sounds like you're backtracking you know like people like Carl Frotch you know, he gets crucified for this commentary but Sky no, I'm not saying he's good or bad I'm not saying that's no no I'm not saying that he, this is the guy who's been a, he's been a better fight than I could hope to have been and achieved more than I could ever dream of but he don't give a shit or he, do, or he might do but he doesn't come across it he gives a shit he just goes I'm you know, 
saying that I've read an article about the other days. I'm good at my job. I can read the fight. I read the fight. Really, he said I read the fight really well. That confidence. You know what I mean, I don't have that confidence. Yes, I, I, he said I read the fight really well. That's all. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at my job. And as long as his employers think he's good, then he, then he must be good. You know. And, but he won't. He won't be bothered by the criticism. But someone like me, who, who doesn't have that that air of arrogance and the confidence about me, I sort of get affected by when people say your shit. And also when people say I get more more favourable comments than, than than bad comments to be honest and, and I try not to get too carried away with them either. I, I had the guy from the Ring magazine, the editor of the Ring magazine messaged me the other week and, and he was saying he thought I was excellent. I think they think they did, they took our commentary for BT on Showtime. No, that's that's a wicked buzz. You know, I don't know the fella personally, but you know, he, he's obviously a boxing guy because he's the editor of the Ring magazine and, and he's watching in, in America on Showtime and I'm thinking, How the fuck could he understand me? <laughs> you know what I mean? How could he understand me? They must have had like subtitles. <laughs> Translation. But, 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 that, but that's fantastic because he's a boxing yeah. guy and it was in America and he think I'm good. No, he thinks I'm good. No, in my mind, no, I've conquered America. So you know what I mean? I'm like, now I'm on a massive contract somewhere. You're on. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on outside of. Um, uh, oh well, on social media about Box Nation and BT Sport. I'm not going to ask you to comment too much about it because I know no, you. G- I, I can tell you what I know, which is nothing. I know the same <laughs> as you guys. I know that um, Box Nation used to show BT shows. And but now that's no longer yes. the case. I, I think I think you can still get Box Nation for free on the BT if you have BT Sports, you still get Box Nation as part of the package for nothing, which I don't understand why Box I, I personally I don't know. I'm not involved I'm I am just a freelance so I just of course, yeah. show yeah, no, of Box course. Nation, you know. So it's just because I do lots of work for them. People tend to think it's part of the, the company. I you know, no, I have no information. I find out when I find out when fights are happening on Box Nation, usually on Twitter, like the rest of you. And then I just hope and then I just hope I work. Well that's what I was gonna know. that's what I was gonna say to you. you you seem to obviously uh, the transition seems to have been made where a lot of the fights you call now are on the uh, the BT Sport channel as opposed to Box Nation because they've took that in a different direction which is it's all common knowledge it's all public knowledge we all know about yeah, that now yeah. I understand it's disappointing because it was it was it was sold as like you know this is going to be all in one and it's a simulcast and everyone's going to have the same stuff and, and Box Nation I think Box Nation you know, they're showing the gas here if I hopefully they get some more fights I think it's going to change slightly you know, the money's there by everything but it's the serious I, I would say the people no, give, give it. Do what you wanted to do. No box. First of all, boxing fans. No, get hit the most in the pocket than any other sports. Fans. Of course, yeah. For any of the sports, we do. No, but BT now got three pay per views by the end of the year. No, with Frank, no Frank and Warren Dern, um, Golovkin, Canelo in a couple of weeks, and also Fury and Wilder. They're all they're three fantastic fights. Yes, but they're still extra, extra money. Sky will have Josh. Will have at least two. They have Joshua in September, and they'll have a. They have another two. I think they'll have another one guaranteed, maybe two. And, and you know, and then obviously um, Groves and Smith, uh, Callum Smith on on um, ITV, ITV yeah. box office as well. You know, it's like where does it end? Plus, you're paying subscriptions anyway. Of course, you know, to get all these things. And then obviously, Box Nation's twelve pound a month or whatever it is. And and, and you know, and and, that, and you and you want to watch all the boxing. That's the thing. You're boxing fans. So like, I never bought the last Sky pay per view. One of the first ones. I was out and about and I got home in time to watch it I thought you know what I don't think it's pay-per-view worthy because in my mind pay-per-view should always be like I'm not, I don't, I'm not a promoter or TV exec but in my, and, they, and they just think if it's, if, it's, if, if people want to watch it if there's demand for it we'll, we'll charge extra for it and listen if it was your company you'd do the same I always think that to justify it to the public a pay-per-view should only be happen when the when the people box it the main bill are getting millions so you have to draw the money from somewhere of course you do I can, yeah. I can, I can, even though I might not want to pay for it I want to be happy I can understand that because how are they going to pay these fights 
fight is. No, no, if the fight is too greedy, I don't know. But are they going to pay the fighters if, they, if we can't get them the extra cash? So that's, but when you have like eight fights on the bill, one of these super bills they have, and they've got, and Frank Warren's done it, so has Eddie Hearn done it, you know, and they have like seven really good fights, but no one's getting paid a fortune. You think, well, hang on, we're being ripped off here. You could just have, have two of these fights on another TV date. Or yeah. that's three TV dates you've jammed into one to justify a pay per view. That's not fair. You know, I, I don't, I, I think, you know, that's not fair for us, for us paying. Fact, I, by the way, I paid for everything. I paid for Box Nation, I paid for pay per view, but I didn't get the last pay per view on Sky because I didn't think it was pay per view worthy. And then it turned out to be a fantastic evening of fights. I know, I was just going <laughs> to say that. It's, it's weird, isn't it? How uh, sometimes it works like that. I was saying it actually on one of the episodes a couple of weeks ago of, of this podcast that um, obviously you get situations where people will say, oh, it's not pay per view worthy on paper. However, that particular show turned out to be one of the best shows of the year in, in terms of quality better, and what it delivered. But, but, but in my mind, though, because nobody was getting fortune, it shouldn't have been pay per view. I agree. Be, that should be not, we should just be raving about that as a fantastic fight. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I didn't think it was pay per view worthy. Yeah, but, but no, I missed, I'm guessing I missed it, you know, because it turned out to be a good night. So, and I'm not just saying I can do this at Sky and all. I, I have no, I have, I have, a, I have a loyalty to Frank Warren because he's been good to me throughout my career, you know, through my boxing career with the licenses and so he pretty much brought me a world title fight, let's be honest. And um, and, you know, and also, you know, with, with, with my job now with BT, because I don't think BT really wanted to use me, to be honest. Well, you're I doing don't a think I, was, I don't, don't think I was top of their list, to be fair. But you're doing a great job, and uh, you seem to get, uh, for, for all the negative stuff that you talk about, you do get a lot more positive from what I can see on social media. Oh, which... no, no, I, I do, I get loads of great stuff, I get, and I probably, I probably get better, I probably get more good stuff than anyone else, to be fair, I think. I get, no, I, 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 I do realise that, and I, and I do, and, you know, and it's humbling, but you can take it to heart, because then you have to take, and if I take that to heart, I have to take it hard with all the shit I get as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I get plenty. I get plenty of shit. You just, you know, people think I get all the good stuff. And, you know, just think oh, oh bad. Other people get it because I get enough bad stuff and abuse and horrible stuff. By the way, like, like really bad on Twitter. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff they'll say. Oh no, I could. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm it's certainly could. Beyond personal. Like if they said it to your face, it wouldn't matter if they were six foot four. You you chin them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wouldn't matter. You hit them anyway, and you get a high, and you take your hiding because you couldn't, you couldn't accept what people say to you. It's unbelievable. The, the, the stuff I have for, for William Williams and Liam Smith, the stuff I had off the Williams fan as well. If I if I wasn't from Wales, I'd never go back there. You know what I mean? Like it, oh, it was horrendous. Like, but then I realised that you know, most of it was because people hate Liam Smith for some reason. I don't know him to be honest, but you know, seen, on social media there seems to be a lot of hate for him and his brother. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I've seen I've seen a lot of that. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's probably, it's probably because of an opinion. That's all it is. And so I have half of them are Liam Williams fans. You know, and you know, because I'm Welsh to just go for the Welsh fighter. And the other half with because they just didn't like they didn't like Liam Smith and they wanted to see him get beat. And to be honest, and I and I think and my score I had going into the last two rounds, it was anyone's fight. I had Smith up by one going into the last two rounds, which I think was fair. You no, know, it could have gone either. and then for me he pulled away in the last two rounds. He he, want, he he looked like he wanted him more. I'm not saying he did, but that's what it looked like. And he, and he took the fight in a close fight. And that was it. Well the commentary song it was was irrelevant. There's two of us commentating you know, and I just, I just saying what I see and John saying what he thinks he sees. We don't always agree and we don't always um you know um coaggregate, I guess our, our opinion. So we he, he'll say what he thinks uh, and people just and also when people want want to hear something they only hear what they want to hear. Yeah, that's also so, true as well, yeah. I think you Yeah, I said oh it's unbelievable, isn't it, sometimes. But anyway that 
was it. So, it, but, but you know, like I was saying, about Warren and, and Hearn, it's a good job of rivalry. Cause there wasn't a rivalry for a while, but now there is a rivalry, and it's good because you mean there'd be competitive fights, but also boxing fans will get hit in the pocket because there'd be more paid reviews. Yeah, of course they will. Yeah. And I don't know, how, and I don't know how you stop it. I don't know how you stop it. For me, for me, no, I, I, I do commentate BT. That's down to Frank Warren. So you know, I, I you know, he's, he's been nothing but good to me. You know, I, I, I'm not saying it's been intentional. I don't know. It might be for for what he thinks, but you know, like what, what can I say? I yeah, but that was it. So you know, it's um, but but also it's, it's never been a better time for being a box fan. Like both constantly moaning about box station, and I can understand why because I'm moaning about it as well. Because by the way, all these shows that we're missing, I'm not getting paid. So, and me or Steve Bunce, by the way, I know Steve gets so much shit. He, 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 he invites like he invites a lot of it to be fair, but he gets so much shit. He gets the blame for everything Box Nation does, you know. And but he's just he's just a freelancer like me. He gets paid per show. You know, that's all he does. He just because he's on there all the time. That's all that is. All these all these the box now is gone and, and the shows that, that that they've missed out on recently. You know, we don't. You know, we're we're more disappointed than, than you guys because we don't get paid. And it's a living. This is my life, by the way. It's my livelihood. So I make a living. Without those shows, I don't get paid. And without don't get paid, I can't pay my mortgage. Yeah. I'm not Carl Frotch who's retired with, with millions in the bank and owns a hundred houses. You know, I'm I'm Barry Jones, like you know, who's uh, who's overdrawn by a million pounds. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a millionaire on paper, and I owe one and a half now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's obviously good to be you know the uh, transition and where it's taking you. And uh, I think really, I, I just want to get your final thoughts. Really, you said it earlier about it isn't it's there's no better time to be a boxing fan. I, I really want to pick your brains and find out for you a couple of couple of standout fighters for you at the moment. Who would they be? Oh, there's a few. There's a few for me. And obviously, Lomachenko, um, Alexander Uzik, um, you got Mikey Garcia, the obvious ones, Terence Crawford, Errol Spence. You know, they, they're standouts for me. They really are. Cause all, all slightly different styles, but beautiful in their own right. Garcia is a good boxer, but he's all about raw power. I think Crawford's you know, at, so athletic in his movements. Errol Spence is, is another Donald Curry for me. You know, keeps his shape really well. You know, beautiful to watch. Technically superb. And Lomachenko's like a magician. You, know, you just don't know where things are coming from. Uzik's a bigger version of him, but apparently a little bit more ball-like. So, so they're just fantastic fighters to watch. And, and, and you know, I don't think we've ever had a so good fit. I think we have this. I'm, I'm a romanticised about, romantic about the 80s, which is for me the greatest era of boxing in my mind, because I, I grew up watching that. But it's fantastic. It, it really is. I think, you no, know, even this, even, even, I know it's t- Golfkin, Alvarez now, in, a, in about three weeks' time, it's tainted because Alvarez has been t- obviously been taking drugs or, or seems to have been taking drugs. But it's still a great fight. Yeah. It, it, against two top quality operators fighting each other and that's all we've ever wanted in sport I don't take too much notice of what titles are where now I don't give a shit about what organisations sanction this fight to lose a world champion I think for me boxing's gone beyond that now a world champion now I feel sorry for the fighters but a world champion it doesn't carry the same weight and I mean that started that started with people like me you know, fighters who were good who were good decent fighters but should put really shouldn't have been world champions and and you, and I, and you could fire names at me all day since since Ben came over to Britain when I was in 91 92 with that WBO title that he went off Doug Dibbett and then defended against Iran Barkley. Since you come up with that title, you could, be, you could just rattle off names and I could just go, no, no, no. And you say, will they be world champions if, if in the real world of boxing? And they're all good fighters. So I was a good fighter. You know, and even before, but it was before that, you know, it's not going to carry the way. It's always been the same, but now it's now it's just gone too much the other way. You know, there's too many fights, too many titles, too many titles, too many organisations having interim champions and champions in recess and super champions. It, it, it just gets beyond. I don't understand it. I, I don't, you know, you try and explain to somebody like like about four years ago, maybe yeah, there was there was a, the WBA welterweight title was fought for by four fighters on the same night in the same ring.
screen. Digest that. Digest that. How can that happen? And it did. <laughs> Impossible. It did. It won a tag. It won a tag team fight. It was of normal f- rules. How can that happen? And and also on the same night goes the WBA light heavyweight title was boxed by four fighters on the same night in two different continents. So you know, like there was one in Russia and then and then and one in Germany. Sorry, Bremer was boxing and then Schumann at the time was was another WBA champion and he was defending his title in in Texas. So you know, it's it's just beyond. The, how do you how do you explain that to to, the, to, to an armchair fan? Somebody who, who you know who likes boxing but doesn't really understand what's going on. Yeah. And that's why that's why we're not on um, prime time t- terrestrial TV because nobody you but yeah, the boxing fans can't decipher who the number one is. How can the, the how can the layman and the other just the armchair fan? You know, how can they decipher who the, who the best anymore? No, you can't. You're right. Yeah, I totally agree. It's uh, it's always been uh, but, something that's kind of brought it down a little bit. But people are fighting each other. That's a good thing. though they feel like like real quality fighters are fighting each other, willing yeah. to fight each other. Could there's more money in the sport at the highest level? That's why. And I think the grassroots is struggling because of that, mind. No, but but I think yeah. So it's it's so it's for, for 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 TV and I think Box Nation has helped with that massively. By the way, there's never been a better time to be in a boxing fan. And and people are moaning about Box Nation all because they've realised people are moaning about Box Nation all the time about the quality of production. It's not as good as Sky. Well, Sky are a multi-billion-pound company. That's why. But but it's you know all the fights we would see week in week out, and now we don't see as many anymore. And now you realise what you've got, what you've missed. You know, and and you so when when would in the t- times gone by, when would we ever see any international fights, you wouldn't. No. Pray that Sky would get one overnight because you know, they buy a fight. What's the worth of showing a fight at four o'clock in the morning? Who wants to watch it? But you know, we I think Box Nation approved. There's enough die-hard fans, you know, to to to, to warrant having a, t- a boxing channel. It really is. So you know, so with that, I mean, BT getting involved within Sky will up, will up their game, and you know, who knows, like this zone might end up coming over to the UK and, and or another another sort of app-based um, sports outlet might start to show some boxing, and 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 then you know, then then it really kicks on. I think the most important thing is that I get work. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So when any, anyone what anyone listening to this or watching this who wants to be my agent, you no, know, then please, you know, just um, get me all the work you can. I'll, I'll let you work for. I'll work for tips, and I'll work topless if I have to. I mean, uh, <laughs> nothing too li- nothing too little. Oh, Barry, you know what? It's been a <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's been really really good to get an insight into your career. I, I know you've probably done stuff like this before, but it's really good for you to to give us a sort of breakdown of your whole career, the goings on, the the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Your you know your thoughts on the the, the current boxing scene, the fighters, the pay per view stuff. It's 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 been it's been a really good uh, enjoyable experience to be able to speak to you, hear your thoughts. Walking into commentary jobs, <laughs> and, yeah, that's uh, crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Who knows, I might walk in. I might walk in to be a promoter next. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Did you ever? Did you ever consider that? Did you ever consider actually going back and training fighters or or doing anything of that nature? You know what? I would. It's funny, see, because I'm a little bit like um, Tim Witherspoon. I, I don't want to train a fighter, but I don't have the effort of, of, of having them from scratch. So I want to be like an Andrew Dundee, just come in for the last sort of four weeks <laughs> and do technical stuff and get paid all the money. I I, I don't. I, I'm I'm too thin skinned to be up here trainer I'd love to train kids and maybe I will but training a kid and then leaving you for somewhere else and it's not a, and it might be the best thing for him but I would I, I would struggle with that because you get a bomb as a trainer yeah and I, I think I would struggle with that and he just ups and leaves you for someone else because it's better for his career which you can't blame him but still it's still personal so I oh by the way I think trainers should get 25% and managers should get 10 that's what I think because the trainer does more work and it might not be as a skilled job apparently but I think it is 
is he does more work and, and he's close and, it's, and he's in with you every day and I think 10% with no contract by the way most of the time it's, it's the trainers don't really get any security and yeah. then, unless you get to a level like Adam Booth where you know, he takes a bigger percentage because he says this and I can guarantee you, you want to be a world champion which he seems to produce almost every time he trains a fighter then this is the price you have to pay and he, and, and he charges him for his time and you can understand why because they, you know, fighters are, are, you know, fighters are fickle in many ways but also it's their career and you can't blame them you only get one shot at it you can't go back again as we all find out otherwise we'd all be coming back wouldn't we to be honest but anyway I always thought I was going to be a model I don't know what happened <laughs> I don't know what happened oh, oh it's the comedian <laughs> oh no Barry well, yeah, that was no this John it's been a pleasure talking to you mate I know I, I know I, I go on and I've taken like two hours of your time and you're going to edit for the rest of your life but yeah, it'd be nice talking to you mate oh no it's been a pleasure to get you on I really appreciate you taking the time out to do it and uh, obviously I look well, forward to, 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 to hearing you on Box Nation BT Sport again soon and uh, uh, thanks very much yep this Friday and this Friday in Glasgow and more importantly September the 15th I'll be in Vegas for Canelo and Golovkin <laughs> well there you go great having Barry Jones on the podcast really really good episode really enjoyed speaking to Barry about his career about what he does uh, as a commentator what his opinions are on fighters and his opinion on the situation with Box Nation BT Sport the situation with pay-per-view fees it was really really good to get all them thoughts so I hope you enjoyed the episode and you know where to find us it's at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter Facebook Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast and we're now on Podbean we're no longer hosted through SoundCloud so if you go and find us we're on www.beyondtheropesboxingpodcast.podbean.com you'll find our little mini site which is really great to have as well and you can find us we're back on iTunes we're still on Stitcher TuneIn CastBox all the most reputable podcasting listening apps please re-rate review and subscribe to our new site the podcasting site the Podbean one and give us your thoughts let us know what you thought of the episode thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.